got to tell you about my tie. If you can't see it, it is a cartoon tie. It has Tom and Jerry. Tom is fishing with Jerry as bait. Uh, my grandkids saw it this morning. They go, oh, they were so interested. Who's that? Who, who is that? Grandpa? Uh, Tom and Jerry. They didn't know who Tom and Jerry. So we had to enlighten them on the reality of real cartoons and uh, what that was all about. So I'll have to look up on YouTube and find some uh, Tom and Jerry cartoons for them. Probably too violent and they're not supposed to watch it. I don't know. Whatever. For this month of May, we have been talking about winning the war in your mind. I hope these messages have been helpful to you. I've had a few people uh, come and discuss further some of these ideas. Hopefully, we'll all be able to make some steps forward in our journey with Jesus uh, each day. I know that uh, I have had some challenges in this past few weeks and I wrestled with these very concepts from Scripture. What do we know about winning the war in our mind? Well, our mind is a battlefield, and most of life's battles are won or lost in your mind. The life that we have is a result of the thoughts that we think. What comes into your mind tends to come out in your life. If you have a negative mindset, it is almost impossible to have a positive life. When your mind is consumed with negative thoughts, it will direct what you do often in a negative way. The life you have is often a reflection of the thoughts that you think. And that can be a problem when your mind races with negative thoughts, irrational worries. Uh, can you relate to irrational thoughts and runaway fears that consume your mind? I don't know what it would be for you, but maybe you worry about something that you know, would seem normal, but you worry about it. Perhaps, uh, you know, here's an example. You're a student, and you're worried about making a bad grade on a test. Because you know if you make a bad grade, then you're going to be worried you won't get into the right college. Then you won't have the right job. And if you don't have the right job, you won't marry the right person. And if you marry the wrong person, you'll end up having the wrong kids. Because then they're the wrong kids, they're going to need braces. And braces are expensive. And if you put braces on them, then you won't be able to send them to college because you're still paying for your own college. And your kids won't have the education and they'll resort to a life of crime and then they'll go to prison. And that all gives you a headache. And speaking of headaches, you think you might have a brain tumor and your mind races in all the wrong directions. I know I'm exaggerating, but not by a whole lot, right? Watch what's on the news. Listen to what happens to the life of someone you love. Maybe you're fighting for a good marriage and you're wondering if it, is it ever going to work. Maybe you've got more bills than you know how to pay. And you're trying to make some kind of decision about the future. It's so easy for your mind to race and be overwhelmed with the very real feelings of anxiety and fear. So that's why I want to start today with God's Word. The Apostle Paul was writing from a Roman prison under house arrest, awaiting possible execution if the trial before Caesar goes against him. And he says these powerful words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. Do not be anxious. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and, say it, your minds. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Paul continues in verses 8 and 9. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things and the peace of God will be with you. Father, we ask that you would do just that, that we would take whatever is heavy on our minds and heavy on our hearts and bring it before you, casting our cares upon you because you care for us. And God, we seek you, renew our minds with truth. We cast all of our burdens on you, believing that you care for us. Give us peace of heart and peace of mind, even beyond what the world would understand. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. Peace be with you. Say it to someone next to you or type it in the chat. Peace be with you. Let's talk about worry. Let's talk about anxiety. Let's talk about the mind. Now, if you remember a key truth in that your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And that yeah, that's really, really good news if your thoughts are good and helpful and positive. It's incredibly bad news if your thoughts are negative because that could be where your life is working. We've been talking about both Scripture and science because God is the God of science. He designed us, and it's interesting as science more and more and is able to get down and understand more and more about the brain and how the body works. In our brains, we know there's this little almond-shaped portion of the mind known as the amygdala. Now, you know, to me that sounds like a biblical city. Mary of Magdalene was Mary of Magdala, and I'm trying to think, well, I wonder where Joseph of Amygdala is, but apparently that's not quite what it is. The amygdala, amygdala, it's a little tiny thing in the middle of your brain. Now, the amygdala is an interesting part of the brain. It is the part of the brain that is wired for survival. So if you ever find yourself in a moment, bam, and you feel like that fight, flight, freeze, or faint, and there's a few others as well, fight, you lash out with your fists or with your words, fight, flight, you run away, you run away from the problem, get away, or freeze, you know, you just, you don't know what to do, you just stop, and some people faint. That's because the amygdala, amygdala is highly active, it's engaged. Anytime you're in danger, this God-given little portion of the brain, the amygdala, it kicks in. It sends your body strong doses of adrenaline. It says, be on your guard, be aware, be alert, run if you have to. So if you see that snake suddenly dart out from the woodpile, if you're me, the amygdala says, snake, run, run, or at least jump back. If you're driving and the driver in the lane next to you is texting, and they start swerving over into your lane, what does your amygdala do? It kicks in. It says, be aware, be alert, be careful, you're in danger, and you swerve without even thinking about it. It's a reaction. It's the amygdala going, whoa. If you have an alarm system in your home, it goes off in the middle of the night. Your amygdala kicks in, and in panic you go, where's the fire? Who broke in? Be careful. God gives us that portion of our brain for our protection. The problem is the amygdala is not objective. It is simply hardwired to protect. It's very easily triggered. 
I want to give you an example of how the amygdala and the mind work. A number of years ago, my secretary at the church I was leading remarked about the fire siren that went off to call the volunteers to practice on Tuesday nights. Every week, her body clenches when she hears it. She was a little girl in London during the Blitz in World War II when the moaning mini would go off. And regularly, the air sirens would go off during the, the bombing of London. They would head to the shelters in the subways. Now, the alert was five seconds surging up and down. But when the air raid was over and the all-clear would sound, the all-clear was 20 to 60 seconds. It was one long wail. If our fire station let the siren go for a long blast, my secretary would freeze up. She said it sounded like the all-clear. She didn't mind the alert. She hated, as five-year-old, she's a little five-year-old, she hated the all-clear, and she said, why? When they came up out of the subways, the first thing they smelled was burning. And then they would see bombed-out buildings, and then there would be fire, and she would smell burning wood, burning cloth, and even burning flesh. The all-clear in her brain was still triggered 70, 80 years later whenever she heard that long wail, and she thought, burning buildings, bombed-out buildings. Our amygdala needs a little help from another part of our brain that's called the prefrontal cortex. It's right at the front here. It is the logical part of the brain that tends to think logically. And it would kick in for my secretary, and it would say, fire siren, not air raid siren. That was 80 years ago. Grow up. You're an adult. Remember, that was a kid. And she had to go through that process every time because her amygdala kicked in. And she had to use prefrontal cortex to go, oh, wait a minute. No. So if there's a noise at night in the house, the amygdala screams, you're going to die. The prefrontal cortex steps in and says, nah, it's probably the cat. You're not going to die. There's very likely a logical explanation. The amygdala is all panic. The prefrontal cortex is all logic. The problem with the amygdala is it always responds according to pre-programming. In other words, if you had my secretary's experience, your amygdala will tend to believe sirens mean bombed out buildings. I don't know what it would be in your life, but because of some hurt or some fear, or some trauma, or even perhaps a misunderstanding of something that happened to you, my guess is that there are certain people, certain places, certain events, or some type of news that triggers you. And without even knowing it, your mind can race and run to a worst-case scenario, where you find yourself sometimes short of breath and panicking, attempting to control things you can't control. You're completely overwhelmed by a runaway mind. Nighttime is the worst for me. When I have that runaway mind, it'll entertain all kinds of cases of worst-case scenarios that I try to figure out so that I can control it. That's all driven by that little amygdala. And that's why Paul says from a Roman prison, do not be anxious about anything. It could be your big test, your job interview, uh, your health situation, a decision about the future, a financial burden. Don't be anxious about anything, 
but in every situation, in other words, if it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. He cares about you more than you can imagine. So in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, what do you do? You present your requests to God. And when you give your burdens to God, Scripture says the peace of God, which transcends all of your understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Type that in the chat. His peace will guard my mind. Type that in the chat. It's okay. You can do that. You know, often as believers, we undervalue and discount the power of prayer. Yeah, you ever find it? People will be in a situation. Everybody's talking. You've gone through all things. I've seen it at board meetings. And someone will say, well, all we can do now is pray. And you can always imagine God going, what do you mean? All you can do now. Prayer isn't nothing. Prayer is everything. The God who can move mountains, the God who can raise the dead, the God who could heal the sick and open blind eyes, and you think like that's all there is left to do. Should have been doing that the first. Prayer isn't our last line of defense. It's our first line of offense. The author to the Hebrews said, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. We can come in prayer boldly with confidence. Why? To find help in the time of need. James said this, you do not have because you do not ask, because you haven't prayed. Prayer is always powerful. Yet, you know, often our little amygdala is just kicking in there going, oh, and, you know, prefrontal cortex. Get that thing going saying, hey, did I pray about this? Did I ask God to help in this? Not only does prayer touch and move the heart of God, but prayer also changes the chemistry in your brain. We're now into science. For decades, neurologists believed that your brain didn't change after adolescence. So how many of you are glad that your brain didn't change, did change after adolescence? I thank God my brain didn't freeze when I was 15 years old. Our brain continues to change. It continues to rewire itself. We talked about neural pathways. When you think a thought, it's easier to think that thought again. Our brains are continually changing, and the term is called neuroplasticity. It is changing. You can retrain it. You can rework it. It means that it's constantly evolving and rewiring itself. There is a study called neurotheology. It is the study of the mind and of God. It's also known as spiritual neuroscience. And they're studying the relationship between the brain and a belief in God. And research shows that prayer actually changes your brain. Dr. Caroline Leaf, in her book, Switch on Your Brain, she says, It has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent it can be measured on a brain scan. Not only does prayer touch the heart of God, Prayer changes the brain. Just as toxic and negative thoughts harm your brain, prayer heals your brain. It transforms your brain. It literally renews your mind. So why do we worry? Why do we find ourselves so anxious? You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you completely trust God, right? Why is it that our minds race in an irrational way? Well, science would tell us that in many cases we're experiencing an amygdala hijacking. 
An amygdala hijack. That is actually, you look it up on the internet and you will find all these research studies on the amygdala hijacking. The stimuli goes directly to the thalamus and then it goes right to the amygdala before a signal reaches the prefrontal cortex to process. This survival mechanism lets us react to things before the rational brain has time to mull things over and make a decision. A loud noise, bang! We duck, we cringe, we seek protection. Our protection mode kicks in automatically. Now that's before our brain even has time to say, hey, this is dangerous, duck. But our little amygdala does this with all kinds of threats. Our little amygdala is a wired to protect. It says you're in trouble, you better take control. You better work harder. You better stay up till 2 in the morning and worry about this because if you don't, it's only going to get worse. So science would say we're experiencing an amygdala hijacking. Scripture would say that our mind is dominated by sinful thinking. In fact, what is a definition of worry? Well, a simple definition of worry would be this. Worry is the sin of distrusting the promises and power of God. Worry is essentially saying, God, I don't trust you. I don't believe in your goodness in this situation. I don't believe you care about what I care about. I don't believe you're going to come through for me. I'm going to worry about this because ultimately I don't trust you. Another quote from Corey Ten Boom. It seemed to be have every week something from Corey Ten Boom's uh, life and ministry. But she said, Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Instead of letting my sinful nature control my mind, which is so easily to happen, it happens so easily, I'm going to choose to let the Holy Spirit who dwells within me direct my thinking. I'm going to let the logical part of my brain choose that which is spiritual. I'm going to take my prefrontal cortex and I'm going to say, you think on what's true. You think on what's excellent. You think on what's praiseworthy. I'm going to put my trust completely in God. And then we hear from the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 5, and 6 these words. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. If we're dominated by the sinful nature, what happens? Well, you think about sinful things, and your mind is dominated by your sinfulness. Your mind drifts toward things that are dishonoring to God. You think about sinful things. But if you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, you think about things that please the Spirit. Letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. That's why we're going to take every thought captive. We're going to make it obedient to Christ. From a scientific point of view, we're going to let our prefrontal cortex grab the amygdala by the tail and say, you quit being irrational. We're choosing to be spiritual. We're giving this to God. I'm choosing you, God, by faith to trust in you, to believe in you, to give you my burdens. Even when my irrational fears start to run wild, I stop. 
I grab that thought, I take it captive, I make it obedient, I'm not going to let my sinful, fearful, dishonoring nature run, in my, my, run my mind in the wrong direction. I'm choosing intentionally to let the Holy Spirit direct my thoughts. Now, all of us at some point in some way have things that we worry about. The good news is we're not on our own. We serve a good and faithful God. So what do you typically do if you're a follower of Jesus and you're worried about something? Well, you take your worry, your concern, your burden, you give it to God. You say, God, I pray about this. God, I'm giving this to you. God, I'm trusting you with my worry. And you give it to God. And then you wait. And then you get freaked out because it's been five minutes and nothing's happened. So you take it back from God and you say, God, I don't really trust you with that. So whenever we worry, that's what we're doing. We give it to God and then we yank it back. We're saying, God, I'm praying about this, but I don't see what I want to see. I'm still worried. We take back the very thing that we gave to God. So why do we do this? Well, in reality, our God is too small and our worries are too big. So if you had the big box of worries, it's like that big trunk full of worries and a little box of God. We need a big box of God and a little box of me. You need a bigger God and a smaller worry. An exercise that perhaps can help you, and over the years I've seen many people do this, and sometimes you forget about it and you just need to be reminded, oh yeah, I remember doing that. Get yourself a God box. Just, it can be a little box, a big box, whatever it is. Anytime your mind is racing, anytime you find yourself worried about something, take it to God in prayer. And then write down that worry on a piece of paper. It might be your teenager, it might be your marriage, it might be your future, it might be your health, uh, it could be your job, it, it could be your finances. You cast your care upon God because He cares for you. You give it to God, you trust Him with it. You write it on paper, you put it in the God box, you close the God box. Now, anytime you want to choose to worry about it, or you actually find yourself worrying about it, you have to go over to that God box and take it out. You want to remind yourself that you're choosing at this moment not to put your trust in God. I want to give you three more tools. We're going to do some tools upon this war in your mind. Well, here's three more tools for us this week. First of all, do what I can do. I want to do what I can do in this situation. I've got an exam coming up. Well, I'm not just trusting God in the exam. I am doing what I can do. I'm studying. If you want to get in better shape... You're not just praying about your health. You're going to eat right. You're going to go to exercise. You're going to get good advice. You're going to do what you can do. And then after you do what you can do, you're going to give God what I can't do. If I can't do something, I'm going to trust it to God. Or when I don't even know where to start or even know what to take the next step, I am going to give it to God. Do what I can do. Give God what I can't do. And then thirdly, I'm going to trust God no matter what. Because of who He is, because of His character, because of His nature. Do what I can do, give God what I can't do, and then trust God no matter what. 
I'm going to trust you, God, casting my care upon you. I'm going to give you what I can't do because of your goodness, your promises, your faithfulness. And then I'm going to trust you no matter what. What I want you to do for a moment is just, I want you to imagine a heart of peace. I want you to imagine a life filled with unending joy. I want you to imagine peace of mind, trusting God. It is possible, and it is also a choice. We can be dominated by the sinful nature, or we can choose to be dominated by the Spirit. Can we review our last four weeks of study? If your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts, do you like the direction your thoughts are taking you? If you don't control what you think, you'll never control what you do. So what are we doing? Well, we're identifying the stronghold. What is the lie that we have been leaving? What stronghold is holding you back? The dominant lie where our spiritual enemy is talking us out of the truth of God. When we identify the lie, then we can replace it with the truth. And then what truth demolishes that stronghold lie? What spiritual truth from God is able to demolish the stronghold lie? Now we want to make a new neural pathway. And that involves writing out the truth. We discover the truth about God that works with the lie. And then we write it out. And someone emailed me and said, you need to write it out, not type it out. Writing it connects your fingers all the way up to your brain. It is all part of the neural pathways. You write it out. Write out the truth of God. And then you think it, and then you say it until you believe it. Saying it out loud helps make the neural pathway. A neural pathway is like a rut in a muddy road. The first rut will always be the default. And if the guy went off the ditch, into the ditch, you'll go off in the ditch if you stay in that rut. You have to create a new rut. And that new rut takes time to go over it and over it, creating a new rut. It becomes the preferred way of being over and over and over again. We write it, we think it, we say it until we believe it. We're renewing our minds with truth, declaring what's true about you. That's why I like that song that we were singing, I am who you say I am, God. I am who you say I am. I believe may all kinds of other, there's all kinds of stronghold lies that I think about myself, but I am who you say I am. What's true about you? If you don't know what's true about you, let me declare it. You are not hostage to your unhealthy thoughts because the weapons you fight with are not the weapons of this world. Your spiritual weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. By the power and authority of God, you demolish every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Worry is not your master. You trust in God. His peace guards your heart, it guards your mind, and it guards your soul in Christ Jesus. You are not a slave to your habits. You are not a prisoner to your addiction. You are an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the words of your testimony. You have been rescued from the power of darkness and brought into the kingdom of life. God, renew our minds. We also know that you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. You can look at life from a negative perspective and say, oh, this is bad, this is hard. Or you can look at it from a different perspective and say, God, you are good, you are faithful, you are true, you are working all things out for your good.
We're not interpreting God through our circumstances. We're not saying, God, where are you? God, you're not good because life is bad. No, what we're doing is we're interpreting our circumstances through the goodness of God. As followers of Jesus, we cover everything we do in prayer. We're not going to be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, we take our request to God. And the peace of God, not the peace of this world, the world can't give it and the world can't take it away. It's the peace of God, which transcends all understanding and it will guard your hearts and what else? Your minds in Christ Jesus. So as followers of Jesus, let God empower you to win the war in your mind. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. We're stepping out of the lies of our spiritual enemy. We're stepping into the truth of God. The truth of God, a renewed mind, will set you free. Worry is not our master. Our faith is in God and God alone. You have a, perhaps a real burden, a fear, something that makes you indescribably anxious. Symbolically put it in your God box and give it to God today. Perhaps there's something weighing on you that might keep you awake at night. It's always there. It's a burden that you want to give to God by faith today. Let me pray for you. Father, I know that there are many in our church family and so many watching online that are overwhelmed with runaway thoughts, fears, and anxieties. God, help us to cast those cares upon you. Now we symbolically release this to you, the relationship the health issue, the fear, the financial burden, the indecision, whatever it is, we trust you to be good, that you are always faithful. Amen. Perhaps there are some of you that are carrying another burden, a, a different type of burden. The fear of where you stand with God. Do you make deals with God? If you're there, God, help me, forgive me. Maybe you're thinking, have I been good enough for God? Where do I stand with God? Maybe that's one of your greatest fears. I've got good news that can bring huge peace of mind. God loves you. Whenever you feel like you're not good enough for God, understand that it is true. None of us are good enough for God. That is a truth. We all have sinned. We've all broken God's commands, and that separates us from God. But because of God's goodness, he became one of us in the person of Jesus, his son. Jesus was sinless. He never sinned. He was the perfect sacrifice. He died in our place for the forgiveness of our sins. But in the goodness and power of God, Jesus didn't stay dead. God raised him from the dead so that anyone, that includes you, doesn't matter how dark your life feels. It doesn't matter how much you've done wrong. It doesn't matter how heavy the weight is. It doesn't matter the worries and anxieties that you have. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus, your sins are forgiven, and you will be brand new. Peace of mind, peace of heart, peace of soul, because you're new. The old has gone, the new has come. We're going to step away from our old life. We're going to step toward Jesus. Our minds are not dominated by our sinful nature, but by the Spirit of God, and we find peace with Him. I'm going to ask Fernando to come and pray for us before we have our last song.